You are now tuned into Poppy Chula Radio, the internet's sexiest radio station that's guaranteed to make you come back for more. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, One on One showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Thursday, February 15th. 2018 listeners please welcome rising international adult star sterling cooper welcome to the show sterling thank you so much for having me it's so great to have you on man uh, you've certainly been uh, you know taking the industry by storm within this uh, short time that you've been in it i i don't know if that's uh, accurate but i've been i've been trying my best to uh you know get around a bit well, I would say so. You've been popping up on uh, various different of uh, the most popular sites on the web. So I, I, I take that as taken by storm. Damn it. <laughs> well, fine. I will. Uh, I will graciously accept the uh, the compliment. You're welcome. Embrace the storm. Yeah. Yes. So uh, let's start off the interview. And typically, I like to start off these interviews by uh, getting some physical stats and some unique stats out the way. So first up, uh, what's your height and weight? Uh, so your your audience is mostly like uh, what's it called? Imperial, right? So yeah, uh, six foot one. Weight's currently eighty seven kilos. I can't convert that to pounds. Sorry, I haven't done that in my life. They can uh, use the Google. It's fine. Yeah, I'm going to have to Google the metric system, unfortunately. Exactly. What's your ethnic background? Uh, you can say Caucasian, but it's half Irish, half German. What's your zodiac sign? Pisces. And how old are you? Currently 30, turning 31 this year. Awesome, man. Happy yeah. early like, birthday, because uh, the Pisces season is uh Yeah, it's uh, 4th of March, so... Yeah, it's coming soon. All right, so before we get into an exclusive one-on-one with Poppy Chulo interview, here's our announcer with a few reminders on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading one-on-one with Poppy Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on one-on-one with Poppy Chulo, visit poppychuloradio.com slash after dark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at poppychulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash radio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you. Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it. Let's start off by getting to know a little bit about the man behind the performer. Where are you originally from? Originally, I'm from a very small country town in Western Australia. Okay, that's what's up. So what was life like growing up for you uh, in uh, the land down under? (laughs) Uh, 
very uh, sheltered is probably a good way to describe it. Okay, so, sheltered yeah. as in a a conservative life, or well, how would you describe sheltered? Not necessarily conservative as such, but just uh, very easygoing, very like small town. Oh, okay. uh, lots of t- like as a as a as a young child or as a teenager, lots of time like just running around in like the bush, using your imagination, riding bikes. Um, playing basketball, that kind of stuff. Like, not really hanging out with girls too much, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I guess when I when I went from there, I graduated school and stuff and went to, like, the nearest big city to go to university. That's when I sort of um, kind of realized how, yeah, sheltered my upbringing had been. Oh, that's very interesting. What is uh, Australian, like, Typical Australian cuisine, like, if you don't mind me asking. It really isn't one. I mean, you might say that a barbecue or a barbie, right? That might be like mm-hmm. the, the quote-unquote typical cuisine, but that's not really cuisine. Um, when you, Whenever you go out to restaurants and things back home, you tend to find a lot of fusion. So people will, will take aspects of, say, French and Italian and, and try to add elements of both to create something slightly unique. Um, but there's, a, there's, there's always been a lot of... Um, immigrant families coming to Australia, setting up, you know, traditional French, traditional Greek, traditional Italian kind of cuisine. So you, you kind of get a bit of everything, really. Okay, that's really interesting. Very interesting. So what was going on with your life prior to entering the adult industry? Because you mentioned pretty much you lived uh, sort of like the sheltered life uh, for, you know, the majority of your your early life, and then once you entered yeah. adulthood, you went out, I guess, to the big city, and, and uh, you realized how sheltered you were from the world. So, uh, what was going on prior to entering well, the business? I I actually um so I graduated from my university with a degree in chemistry of all things. Um, went on to uh, work as an industrial chemist, and then as a oil and gas chemist. Wasn't really happy with, you know, wasn't, wouldn't say not happy, I, wouldn't, I was extremely bored, is probably a better way of saying it, extremely bored with what I was doing, didn't really see that much future in it, um, wasn't exciting me at all, so I quit that and then went and started my own uh, healthy meal delivery company, which uh, went pretty well, but um, yeah, that, that even, you know, I thought that what was sort of boring, making me really bored was, you know, I wasn't my own man. I wasn't chasing down my own dreams in terms of, you know, running my own business, being my own boss, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, like three years into that, the sort of same thing, the same kinds of um, uh, thoughts were occurring. It was like, yeah, this isn't really that, that interesting. It's not really that exciting. It's not really, it's not, it's not making me leap out of bed in the morning. That's, kind of the feeling I want every day, you know? And then I uh, I ended up selling that business and then, yeah, decided to uh, get stuck into the adult industry and back in Australia. And, yeah, was lucky enough to be, to be given a chance and here I am now. So let's talk about that transition. How exactly did you get into the adult industry in Australia? Was it as simple as, I guess, applying on a website, you know, submitting something like that. Did uh, did you know little, someone? Did someone know you? How exactly did you get into the business? A, kind of a combination of both. I um, so I'd been in the swinging scene for like six years prior to to this whole thing, and um, I knew a few girls who they didn't uh, they didn't do porn, but they did escorting back in Australia, and they told me that I should have a crack at doing porn. And then one of these girls actually did a little bit of porn back in Australia. She um, gave me the contact details for one of the directors uh, on the east coast of Australia. So I hit him up. um, And then I went and filmed like an audition video. This is like so nerdy. I I got two of my uh, friends in the swinging scene, a couple I knew, who were cool to be on camera with me. 
And I was like, and I went to rented some like cameras and some lights and like a hotel room. And I was like, all right, let's just like fuck all night and film it. And then I cut it up into like clips and uh, sent it to about three or four different producers in Australia saying, hey, I want to get into the industry. I'm an exhibitionist. I love this stuff. Here's an example of like me on camera. I'm, you know, obviously not camera shy. And yeah, they liked it. One of them said, this is the most professional uh, application I have ever seen from a porn performer. I love that, man. I love the initiative. <laughs> I feel like it was more of a reflection of my um, like OCD or like hyper-logical tendencies. But yeah, it, it paid off. It worked. So, Well, there's that too. So describe to me and as, and as well as our listeners the adult industry scene in Australia because there are some websites that sort of you know pop up you know on social media and and have gotten sort of attention here in the states but uh, you know what is it like over there like actually filming content and is the industry I mean, I would assume it's not comparable to, like, Vegas or um, L.A. here in the States, but is it comparable to, like, let's say, the U.K., in which you're working a lot now? How would you describe no, the Aussie scene? It's a lot smaller. So um, there's probably, right now you're looking at four, maybe five, at a stretch, uh, companies over in Australia that shoot pretty regularly. Um one of them doesn't really hire performers. It's sort of a director shoot kind of thing. Three of them do mainly girl-girl content. They'll occasionally do the odd boy-girl content, and that's like Girls Out West, who you might have heard of. Um, but they'll, they'll only, they'll, I think they only shoot couples. And then um, Light Southern will occasionally do a boy-girl um, bit if they're commissioned to. Uh, but the main one is a site called Aussie Ass. Dot com, who I worked for for most of the time back home, um, and they shoot relatively regularly, so they're, they're kind of the main one, but they're basically the only real one for male performers back home. So I was one of four guys who shot regularly back in Australia, so it's a pretty tiny um, industry, but that's also, it's, it's good in a way because everybody knows each other, and it's uh, very intimate. So you, you're looking at like four dudes who shoot regularly and then maybe 20 girls, 30 at a stretch, who will shoot every now and then or produce their own content as well. So everyone ends up hanging out all the time. Like imp We're not talking like official uh, awards nights and events nights or anything. We're talking just, you know, let's all go down to a cocktail bar and hang out and have drinks. And that happens pretty regularly, which is really cool. That was the, the thing I found amazing about it was it was so... As a newbie, it was very uh, relatively easy for me to sort of get into the, the, the network and meet everybody and get to know everybody and, yeah, like uh, kind of make, make a name for myself a little bit back home before venturing over to the UK. So that could be a, a really good thing as, uh, you know, you experience, or it could be a bad thing because if there is drama, you know, since it is a small group... Oh, there's definitely, there's always, always some drama. Oh, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> I try to avoid that as best I can. Yes, which you should. That's really <laughs> interesting. And I'm going to assume that, uh, you know, like the testing type of thing is, is similar in Australia? Yeah, the they, they, situation. They, they, yeah, they abide by the same, they basically follow the US example on every set. So Okay, okay, yeah. awesome. It's, it's um... The problem with, with the industry in Australia is that it's in this sort of legal grey area in terms of like where they're allowed to shoot content legally, what licenses and registrations they need, if, where they're allowed to sell it legally. So it it really hinders any real progress for the for Australian producers and performers. So and the UK apparently the UK is not that dissimilar with its laws technically, but it's a lot more um, uh, encouraged, I guess, over here. People people do a lot more work over here than they do uh, in the UK, rather, back in, uh, than back in Australia. 
But then again, Europe's shooting a lot more stuff than the UK is, and then the US is shooting infinitely more than anybody. So it's just sort of like rung up the ladder. All right. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask you all about that, but I'm, I'm glad you just shared that. <laughs> That's really fascinating. So, all right. So, in total, how long have you been in the industry? Uh, my first scene was on the 16th of February, 2017. So, literally, no, I'm one day shy of a year. Holy shit. I didn't even realize that. Oh, I'm one, one day shy. So you've, you've, you've caught me just before I've made one year old in the industry. Very awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So how long were you shooting in Australia before you decided to uh, venture to the UK to start shooting there? So I, um, I did my first three scenes back when I was still living in Perth on the West Coast. Um, I flew across to do all three of those at the same time. And then I, uh, I decided, yep, this is the thing for me. This is where I want to be. When I, this is what, what I want to do for, you know, the foreseeable future. So I, uh, I sold my business back in Perth, packed everything up and moved to Melbourne on the East Coast. And yeah, I was there for like, like four or five months over there, trying to do as much work as I could over there. And then, um, yeah, moved to the UK in October. So not really that long in either, uh, you know, Australia or over here, to be perfectly honest. What's it like four, three months over here now? So I'm, uh, yeah, still a newbie in, uh, in terms of everything. All right, that's interesting. And uh, what, I guess, sparked your decision to move uh, to the UK and, and to focus on uh, work and, and working in the industry there where, where you're currently at was it because uh, you uh, you know you wanted to uh, grow your career grow your name and and obviously you know you can only do so, so much in Australia and so you decided to move uh, into like you know the UK and maybe eventually coming to the US is that kind of like the goal yeah what? that was exactly <laughs> the plan yeah so I knew I knew there was sort of a limit to how much or how far my career could go back in Australia. So I thought, okay, UK it's very easy for Australian citizens to get visas in the UK. So that's why I chose to pop over here. That and the fact that there's a lot more work over here. And I had a couple of contacts um, through through uh, you know directors I'd worked for back in Australia who knew guys over here in the UK. Um, so I just sort of set up a few things before I came over here got my visa, came on over, and um, yeah, it's kind of like a stepping stone for Europe as well, because I'm, I'm actually going off to uh, Budapest in a couple of weeks as well, so get to, to experience both the Europe, European and the UK industries at the same time. I love it. That's awesome. How would you describe the differences in uh, like what you're experiencing now in the UK versus what you experienced in Australia? Uh, what do you mean exactly in terms of like the way things are shot? Yeah, is it different as far as the shooting style? Is the sex a little different uh, as far as uh, what you do? I mean, I'll be honest, you know, from an American point of view, it does seem like, um, it, it, well, you know what, I'll be honest, like maybe a decade ago, uh, European porn sort of seemed a, a little bit more... I don't even know how to describe it, but it, like more intense, uh, a little bit grittier, uh, with a little bit more of a focus on anal than the U.S. I think the U.S. is kind of caught up to the U.K. in in in, in that sense. Uh, the eighth bandwagon. Exactly. I would say though, I I still think in the U.K. Um, although recently, within the past six months, it's starting to pick up steam here in the states. 
um, you know, men getting rimmed is something that uh, I was talking about that with someone today. Like, it's I'm, I'm like, where does this thing come from? Everyone's yeah, getting, I mean, here in the U.S., maybe yeah. a, a few years ago, uh, you know, it, it started to pick up steam, but then it just sort of disappeared. In the U.K., it seems to always have been uh, a part of like porn, and now in the U.S., it's just uh, taken off, and uh, I feel like it's probably going to be here to stay. Well, I'm like, it's not really. That's not really like something I'm. Comp- I'm totally into either. So it's a, it's just interesting that if that ha- has to happen on set, I'm like, oh well, well fine, just eat my ass. But it's um, it's not something I'd be like signing up for like straight away. Like, yes, I definitely want someone to to go between my butt cheeks and have a good snack. But stick um, a tongue. Yeah, exactly. The difference between and Australia depends upon which company you work for, but you could say that sort of anywhere you go, really. I mean, over here in the UK, I've worked for, you know, people like Brazzers or people like Dorsell, and then I've worked who are totally different in their style to, say, X Confessions, who are totally different to fake driving school or fake uh, taxi. So it, it really depends. I mean, but, uh, I mean, say, for example, back in Australia, when I worked for Aussie Arse, um, it's, it's a lot more simple. It's just, you know, one guy with a camera, you and the actress, you're sitting there discussing it between the three of you, and then you just you just get rolling, you know? It's very super low pressure. It's about as easy as a shoot could probably be, right? Um, mm-hmm. Over here, like, working browsers is a bit more demanding. Uh, Dorsell's easily the most um, challenging company I've shot for, without a doubt. They're, um, yeah, they're, like, pretty, like... Top like the guys that can shoot regularly for Dorsell are like probably the best dudes in Europe. From just from the dudes I've seen working for them, they they get really good guys in. Um, and obviously Brazos is like you know uh, king of the mountain as well. But then like fake taxi, fake driving school, it's yeah, it's a lot easier when you've got cameras that are sort of like stationary. So. You know, you've got, you might have like multiple cameras set up around you and you just sort of go at it and occasionally will like point to the camera. It makes, you know, life a lot simpler as an actor versus having like a main cameraman who has to sort of direct you. So that's kind of the difference between, I guess, the different kinds of companies I've worked for. Let's go back to the very first scene that you uh, were featured in. What was your first time on set like? And uh, what was going on through your mind? Were you nervous, excited, scared? Was it something that was very comfortable for you because you were in the swinging lifestyle? Or was the fact that uh, sort of like cameras uh, were all around and you're on a set and, uh, you know, there's a cameraman and all that kind of stuff. Was that uh, something that added to the pressure? I had a very easy first scene, so I it was literally just a BJ scene, and it was with a lovely American actress called Jamie Marley, um, and we're still friends to this day. We still stay in touch every now and then, um, and uh, yeah, it was just me and her, and then the camera guy, and it was again about as easy as it could possibly get. And she was a fantastic. She was. I was nervous. Don't get me wrong, stupidly nervous, and but also like quite excited. Um, and, uh, man, she she just made my uh, first scene super easy. Like, the moment I walked in the door, she was, like, so friendly, so, like, making me feel like a million dollars. I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be, like, an easy day. And it was. It was a really good shoot. So, uh, yeah, I, feel I, I had a really easy one to, uh, to start with. I love the sound of that. So, when you actually did your first hardcore scene... Was there a little bit more pressure, or you know, were the nerves yeah, sort of like a little bit more pressure because I, there was a few things I wasn't like fully aware of when you work. Whenever you work for a new company, you're never exactly sure like how they go about things, like the order they like to shoot things in. Um, yeah, so there's elements of of like the shoot that you, that are unknown or that come at you that are unexpected. Yeah, obviously add a bit of difficulty to it. But yeah, that's that's part of the job, right? Just dealing with things as they come up. But it was, um, yeah, it was again equal. 
every time I've gone and done something that's even more like new or challenging or you know I haven't, I haven't done something like that before again it's the same thing it's like these butterflies but it's also this like excitement at the same time especially if I'm working with you know someone I haven't worked with before very awesome so let's talk about your poor name how did you come up with uh, the name that you chose for yourself in the industry? Um, most people think that I got it from Mad Men, but I actually never... I have watched Mad Men now, because everyone's been telling me that my name actually came from Mad Men. But um, yeah, I'd never even watched an episode of Mad Men before I uh, picked my name. In case anyone doesn't know, uh, Sterling Cooper's the name of like the company where they uh, they work from in the TV show Mad That's Men. Funny. Um, but, uh, it was like a combination of, uh, my, f two of my favorite characters, which was, uh, well, the second part, not necessarily, Sterling Archer from the, uh, Adult Swim cartoon Archer is where I got Sterling from, mm -hmm. and, uh, I absolutely love Bradley Cooper's character in the movie Limitless, so I stole his last name to tack onto the end of Sterling, and they have it. I like it. I think it's a great choice. Yeah. I actually like, but it wasn't the first choice. I had like, I came up with like about 10 different names and I literally went out and surveyed like 20 female friends. It was like, okay, here's all these different names. Like, tell me which ones you like the best and you just narrowed it down that way. Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. And so they picked the, the right one. Okay. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a great choice. So, you're welcome. So let's talk about uh, sort of uh, your experiences on set in general. In general, what turns you on the most and what turns you off the most when you're on set? Uh, drama is the thing that turns me off the most, like, by a mile. Um, so, if there's any, like... Yeah, just, like, bitchiness or drama like that. It's just, like, ugh, my eyes are on the back of my head. and like, not this bullshit. I just want to get on with my, my work, you know? Um, what turns me on the most, it depends if it's, like, during the scene or before the scene. So, like, before the scene, like, really little subtle things really get me revved up. Literally, like, if my leg is, like, touching like alongside my co-star's leg before we're shooting or if like we're like holding each other or like you know holding hands is like something that really gets me fired up i don't know why it's so weird that it's like little you know uh, um teenager kind of things that get get me fired up before a scene um but then during a scene it's like 100 percent dirty talk and eye contact those two things just drive me insanely hot Oh, love them. There's nothing like a girl who can do dirty talk really, really well. It just, oh, it makes a scene. Let's break a porn scene down. In a scene, which do you enjoy the most? Oral, vag, or anal? <sighs> At the moment, anal because of the novelty factor of it, because I don't get to shoot it that much. So, yeah, it's like the perverted side of of me comes out and is just really titillated by the fact that I get to stick my dick in someone's ass. In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position and does it differ from your favorite position off camera? Mm, well, my favorite position off camera is uh, is cowgirl because I like to be like a power bottom. You know what I mean? So, and when when I'm filming. My favorite tends to be kind of like a like a pretzel, where like the girl's on her back, her knees are next to her ears. She's sort of like leaned the torsos, like no, not torso, her hips are like leaned back a bit, mm -hmm. and, and I'm going in kind of like not quite missionary, but it's, it's kind of it's kind of like half missionary, half uh, pile driver, like in between the two, right? Because you can sort of sometimes you can get girls to squirt from that position, and you can sort of get a really good camera angle on it as well, and you can as a guy you can just like pound away like that pretty easily so it looks really good i think it looks hot and we all know how a scene ends with the pop shot in a scene where is your favorite place to shoot your load uh right between the eyes 
if I can if I can get my aim right right between walls. Yes. If not, you'll get a dirty look afterwards. Yes, I have gotten many. Right. Yes, that's too funny. Now, for those that are tuning in, that have downloaded this podcast and are getting to know Sterling Cooper, how would you describe your fuck style for them? Hmm. Uh. Well, I can, I can really only describe my fuck style in my personal life because on camera you kind of have to change. At the moment, at least, I have to change depending upon what the uh, what the producer director wants, right? Um. But in my private life, probably more rough than anything else. I like being with women who like to get, you know, choked, spanked, having their hair pulled, maybe slapped a little bit, like plenty of dirty talk, plenty of gagging, plenty of spit, something a bit messier. That's kind of what I tend to enjoy. Thus far, who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? Ah, this one's easy. Uh, Ava Austin, she's an amazing performer. Loved working with her. Uh, Cindy Sun is a really good performer. Who else back home? Uh, back in Australia, Jessie Lee Pierce. She's awesome. She's great to work with. Who else have worked with over here? Uh, Mariska um, from uh, Belgium. She's Brazilian. She's part Brazilian, part Belgian, I believe. Worked with her for Dorsell. She's great. She's a, just a stunning performer. Um, who else am I thinking of? Oh, and Jasmine Jay. Worked with her for Factory Army School. She's just incredible. Oh, love her. Lots of great choices. Awesome. And uh, what about performers that you haven't worked with? Who's on your must-do list? Who are you looking forward to uh, doing a scene with in the future? Hmm. Uh, I don't, to be perfectly honest, I don't really, uh, think about that too much. Um, I probably, if I had to say someone, the obvious choice would be, uh, Angela White, because she's Australian. Uh, okay. She's just, like, dominating the industry mm-hmm. right now. So that'd be just, like, a really cool thing to do. But that's probably not on the, uh, on the horizon anytime soon, so... Very interesting. Yeah, you're going to make it happen. I know it. (laughs) We'll find out. We'll find out. Who are some individuals in the industry that you look up to? Are there any performers or even individuals behind the scenes, behind the camera, that inspire you in what you're doing and your career trajectory? Oh, definitely. Um, So I, I tend to study this industry, like, a fair bit. So I will try to learn as much as I can all the time, like be it through documentaries, be it through someone's blog, someone's podcast, someone's YouTube channel. Um, actually, one of the things that really helped me when I first started was uh, Sean Lawless. He has a YouTube uh, channel where he actually takes you on set and he breaks down like how he gets ready for a scene or what his set bag that he brings on the scene, like what he packs for the day. Um, yeah, he, he was he's a real... Uh, inspiration. I love Kieran Lee. He's freaking that guy is hilarious. Uh, watch some like behind the scenes stuff with him to like learn a bit about things. So like these two guys. What's my thinking of? Um, oh, who was I been following really a lot lately? There's a couple of guys over here who I've um, hit up to sort of just get advice off, and they've been fantastic. Like Axel Aces. Ryan Ryder, Dean Van Dam, those three guys have helped me out a lot when I came over here. Just little tidbits of advice whenever I needed some and any questions I needed answering. Um, but yeah, like some of these bigger guys back in the US, like Sean Lawless and uh, Kieran Lee, and of course Johnny Sins, the uh, the legend Johnny Sins, are guys that I sort of look up to and watch what they do. Watch when I watch their porn, it's like okay, where is he putting his hips? Where is he putting his legs? Um, like what's he doing like how's he interacting with his with his co-star during a scene like the, the eye contact what they're saying like what are they doing any little tidbit that i might be able to learn from one of these guys and like add it to my own sort of style um yeah i'm sort of looking out for things like that all the time awesome man certainly a great list of uh, male performers in the business that uh you know 
if if you can uh, you know get up to their levels, you're going to have an incredible career. That would be amazing. Absolutely, man. Very cool. As your scenes have been coming out so throughout the past year, do you watch them? Are you the type of performer that watches his own content, uh, you know, maybe to critique himself or as a means to see where you can improve? Or are you the type of performer that tries to avoid viewing his own content? I am very much the former. I will, like, the moment it comes out, I will watch it and, and like, either cringe at my uh, attempt at acting or sit there and critique <laughs> like uh, my uh, like my positioning with like you know a sex like where my legs are positioned or my hips are positioned during like a sex scene so yeah I'm, I'm always looking at it and being like hmm maybe I shouldn't do that next time or hey that's actually really good I like that I'll do that more so I think that helps because no one else is gonna it's not like this is the kind of industry where I'm going to get the feedback I need on those things from like uh, consumers, right? Is that like a, uh, if you're an athlete, right? You've got fans, you've got uh, journalists, you've got commentators all sort of giving you feedback on what you've done well and what you've done wrong. But in this kind of industry, you don't really have that. So you've got to sort of critique yourself, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. So something that I want to ask you about is uh, Fake Taxi. What's that experience like? Obviously, you're, I'm (laughs) assuming, ad-libbing a lot. You're in this scenario in in which you have sex with uh, the taxi driver. We have something similar here in the States, the bang bus, although it's more of a like van in which people have sex in, and, and uh, the van is moving. So it's I'm being, very familiar with the bang bus. Yeah, it's being driven around as people have sex in the back. But the fake taxi is a little different in the sense that because it's the driver that you're having sex with, you know, it has to stop and that kind of thing. So yeah. first off, what is that experience like? What's it like having sex in the back seats? Is there enough room? <laughs> um, you know, where it's do not. you park? Where does it get parked? Uh, has anyone ever, you know, accidentally walked on by and uh, taken a peek at what's going on in the fake taxi? Apparently, that has happened. Um, yeah, and they've been they've been in trouble with like local councils before from that happening in the past. So now they tend to shoot in. When it comes to the sex, at least, they, they shoot in very discreet uh, locations, shall we say, when that happens, um, to avoid that kind of drama. But it's uh, it helps if the girl you're working with is, is short, and um, it would definitely help if I was a lot shorter, because I was bashing my head on the roof of that taxi multiple times, <laughs> and her head as well, to be perfectly honest. But it's um, it's quite funny, because they've got all these like different handrails, and things in the back of the the, the cab because it's a London cab. It's actually an old, retired London cab, so it's the the, the real deal. Um, but the girls who work regularly on female fake taxi um, sort of know where to put their feet on the different like handrails and things. They're they're amazing at it. They know like they're like okay, we're doing cowgirl. Okay, we're doing doggy. I'm going to put my legs exactly here and here. So they've got like amazing support and you can just go at it it's hilarious oh that's fantastic that's awesome but i i would imagine besides sort of like the tight space with um you know as far as like banging your head like once the camera's in there does that make it at all difficult because sometimes the um i've noticed that sometimes like the male performer has to hold the camera and that kind of thing does that does that get a little... Um, does it feel chaotic when you have to sort of start shooting POV stuff in that enclosed area? Um, not really. I mean, they... Um, they've got a, in that thing, they've got like, a, got like three, maybe four cameras set up in that cab. So oh, okay. for okay. most of the most of the scene, you're just going at it. And you kind of know where they are. So, so it's, it's always... No matter where you are, something's going to get picked up. But you will always try to like just position so you're facing one most of the time, as best you can. Um, yeah, and then when it comes to like the pop shot, yeah, you've got like a POV or whatever you need to. But that's not 
at least with uh, from my experience, it wasn't that um, wasn't that difficult handling like the PV stuff. It's kind of like you're just getting off, you know, with your high school sweetheart back when you were a teenager in the back of like your car or something. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting series. Both of them, the Fake Taxi and Female Fake Taxi, they're they're really spectacular. And fake driving school that is uh, yeah fake driving school as well that really one cool. that's a lot more cramped though that's that's that car is tiny man yeah because that's an actual that's like a teeny tiny compact yeah. car almost oh god yeah that's your your butt and like your back are like getting compressed by like the seat and the seat belt and all kinds of things it's like the car was not made for fucking in let's just say that but it cra- it makes it for a funny day on set. I would assume, yeah. And it's the, t- it's the same, like, scenario, right? Where you guys have to go into a ridiculously secluded area. Because that one, like, I don't even... Th- the windows are not tinted, right? The windows aren't tinted yep. on uh, the taxi either, correct? No, on either of them, no. Okay. No, you can see right through it. Alright, so yeah. Because you'd be putting on quite the show uh, for passerbys. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> I'm curious to ask... Since you are in the industry, how old were you when you saw a porn film for the very first time? Ooh, um, hmm. I actually can't remember if it was like two of the oldest memories I have of like porn in general. One was this dirty magazine that me and my friends found at the local tip, and I took home with myself. And, um, so, like, that was in my room for, like, years. And then the other one was finding, like, uh, my brother's, like, collection of porn on his computer. I think it was, like, I think I might have been, like, 10 or 11 or something when I first came across porn. It was pretty early on, like, pretty young. And I, yeah, I think I just immediately started masturbating, like, as soon as I found it. Well, there you go. As we all do. (laughs) <laughs> That's what it's there for, right? Exactly. Exactly. Alright, so speaking of that, uh, now it's time for the big question. A question I'm sure a lot of uh, the listeners might be curious to know. How much is a Sterling Cooper packing? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very modest in, in this industry. I'm only packing seven. So, Well, seven long and six around, so... I don't know. People, people don't really tend to measure their girth these days, though. Well, there you go. And as far as the pop shot, I know that we discussed it earlier, but I'm curious to ask you, do you do anything in particular to maintain a consistent pop shot in your scenes? As in, like, uh, to make it look good? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, there are some performers out there that, uh, you know, they, they try to hydrate, they try to do certain things to, you, yeah, know, yeah. you know, make it uh, as explosive uh, as a uh, Kieran Lee or a Danny D. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. There's, like, there's two kinds of... you got the kind of pop shot, which is, like, uh, like Danny D's pop shot, right? It, from what I've seen, it looks like it's explosive, right? It shoots, um, it shoots out a lot, like sprays, right? And there's other guys who have... Uh, kind of more like a thicker uh, cum shot, which like just droops, not droops, but doesn't really shoot out. It like just pops out a bit, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't really go that far. It but it's oozes. Like, like, yeah, that's a better way of saying it. But it's way thicker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm naturally more of the the former, where it's like it shoots pretty far and in like it sprays. So, but that doesn't necessarily. I don't think that looks as good on camera. Like I think it looks better if it's like thicker and wider and stuff. So. I try to, like, I edge a lot, so it sort of builds up my sperm production, like, keeps it a bit thicker and wider, and I drink, you, you've got to drink a fair bit to sort of increase the volume that you've got, um, and I do Kegels pretty regularly, too. That always helps to, like, not only produce more, but, like, get more out of your balls when you're coming. Okay, that's really interesting. Now, earlier in the interview, we discussed your life before the industry. You know, what was going on, you know, what your childhood was like. So I'm curious to ask you, as someone still fairly new in the business, and as you mentioned, you know, you started off in uh, Australia, 
and uh, you know you've really taken uh, to heart the business and you really want to improve so you ended up moving to the UK and uh, you know you're starting your takeover there and uh, you know the ultimate goal is to be embraced in uh, the uh, US and the American market so does your family know about your career in the industry? Do they? Is it still a secret? Uh... <laughs> no, they. Uh, my immediate family uh, know. All my friends know. So, but they weren't. My friends weren't really that surprised because they they've known me for long enough to know that I'm a complete pervert anyway. Well, there you go. So, uh, so they weren't really that shocked. Um, <laughs> my uh, when I told my sister, she literally just laughed out loud. That was all she did. She was like, "Oh well, I suppose." As long as you're happy and you, you stay safe, keep going. Do whatever will make you happy. And my brother's a bit bit more of a cynic. He was, uh, <laughs> he was. Uh, I think his response was like, "Well, of course he's doing it. Like, it's not. I'm not really surprised. So, I don't get any flack from it at all. And my dad's okay with it. Like, he's he's learned to sort of accept it. So, it's uh, yeah. I think it's a. I've probably got about as good of a reaction from it as I could have expected to get so i'm quite happy with that that's awesome yeah i mean you know i i think a, a more positive uh, reaction certainly helps uh you know in the grander scheme of things to be quite honest i mean when you get like when i decided to get into this i was i went into it with the full knowledge that i might have to deal with like my family rejecting mm-hmm. that idea so i mean it's it's pretty naive for anyone to get into this industry thinking their family's going to accept it I mean, that's, I don't. I wish that wasn't the case, but that's just the reality of uh, of the world we live in. So you kind of got to be ready for that. Yeah, that's true. It's crazy. After all this time, uh, you know, it's still ridiculously taboo to uh, work in the industry, even though I mean, everybody watches it. You know, whether they will admit it or not, whether they frequently watch it or not. Everyone has seen a porno, and uh, it, it's funny how, uh, you know, immediately people become so judgmental about the industry. And one of the things that at least, you know, hopefully has come through in all these interviews that I've done throughout the years is that porn people are just like us. I mean, you know, there is nothing uh, different, you know, from a, a porn performer to, you know, a, a person who's not in the industry. You know, we're all people at the end of the day. Oh, exactly. Like, the people in... The thing is that... That's the thing I love about this industry is the people in it. Like, everybody I have met in this industry is the loveliest person. Like, guys and girls, producers, directors, cameramen, like... Everyone has this... The one thing that everyone has in common is that they're non-judgmental about people's sexuality. And that's so refreshing. And I think... You, I guess people who've been in this industry a bit longer might take it for granted, but most of the world isn't really, you know, that accepting and liberal when it comes to people's sexuality and sexual preferences and, and kinks and fetishes and things. But this is an industry where you're totally okay to explore that without any, you know, fear of judgment and, um, you know, without being ostracized or or labeled, or, um, yeah, I'll put down for it. It's it's beautiful. That's that's part of the reason why I, I love this industry. Awesome, man. I love the sound of that. So, something that I want to discuss with you is sort of like testing in general in the industry. I feel like a lot of viewers, for the most part, you know, they see all of the sex and all of the condomless sex and, and whatnot, and they don't realize that the industry is heavily tested performers for the most part have to have a fresh test every 14 days or so at least so in your experience in the industry you know regardless of the amount and the consistency of the testing do you ever feel worried about catching something on set whether you know an sti or worse um not with the people i've worked with uh because i've been fortunate enough to work with girls who are extremely professional so and I and I you know I can you know, I can go onto their Twitter, see they've been in the industry for several years, see they've worked for some really reputable companies. Um, you know, you get an impression that they're, they're extremely they're extremely professional. It's just this is they take this seriously, right? So I'm not concerned when it comes to working with someone like that. So um, 
obviously there's, you know, there's always that fear in the back of your head, but as long as you're doing everything within your power to, you know, mitigate any possible risk, you know, that's, and that is obviously getting tested every 14 days, you know, practicing safe, safe sex in all circumstances, like outside of, you know, shooting a scene, um, you know, and expecting that of your peers as well, then, you know, you're doing as best as you possibly can to mitigate any, you know, potential risk. And the thing is that that's a que- that's a topic, rather, that comes up or came up a lot when I was uh, sort of coming out to, like, friends and family, was like, oh, you know, aren't you worried about, you know, catching an STI? And when you look at the statistics, like, performers are infinitely less likely to catch an STI than the general public because we know about our sexual health. We get tested all the freaking time. So we, if, if any performer catches something, you can narrow it down really quickly and really easily to who you caught something from, and then you can isolate it. Like, this has happened, like, in the industry multiple times. Like, it's really easy to track it down. So, well, maybe not really easy, but it's a lot easier than it would be for, you know, Joe Blow on the street to figure out, like, where he got the clap from or something. So, it's, uh, but people don't really, people don't think that way. They don't, they don't, they don't assume that they're at a greater risk than, you know, someone who has sex for a living. Absolutely. And earlier in the interview, we discussed sort of like how rimming is uh, taking over the industry. (laughs) Something else that has been taking over the industry is this genre of, uh, personally, I call it incest light. Uh, It's uh, the whole stepfather, stepfather, stepson, um, stepbrother genre that... uh, it's you know it's become incredibly popular. Uh, your Brazzers debut, if I'm not mistaken, was yeah. yeah. It was you were the stepson, and it was your stepmother. Step stepmom, yeah. Yeah, that you got that you caught at the strip club, um, which you know I guess happens to everybody. But um, <laughs> it's part and parcel of you know living in the modern world, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on that genre? It, was it weird to do in the beginning? Uh, you know, it, it is was it funny in your opinion? Because I mean, you do have to sort of act. You know, at least for the the you know for a certain portion of the scene. You know, in the beginning in particular, and you have to react. And I'm sure they probably tell you, you know, make sure you say step, make sure you say step, and that oh, yeah, kind they, of they, thing. They that point home. Yeah, yeah, because you know you can't do incest, obviously. Uh, for many reasons, um, so you have to keep on referencing the step, 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 and that kind of thing. So, what's that experience like when you're shooting this, you know, incest-ish, uh, you know, type of scene um, in porn? Hmm. Well, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really think about it that much because she's not my stepmom, so. It was to me it was like oh well this is just I'm just shooting with Emma Butt so okay it's Emma Butt and it's I don't know I would I, I suppose I acted like um, if anything if there was a experience like a relatable experience I might have drawn upon as like to do the acting part it would have been like okay I'm imagining that this is like I'm reacting to this like it's my best mate's girlfriend or something right like I'm pretending I'd be similarly shocked right if I ran into my best mate's girlfriend being a stripper and, I, and none of us knew about it you know so that's kind of how like the acting side of things would have worked but I didn't really yeah I honestly didn't really think about it too deeply because I feel like if I did then I'd run into this sort of dilemma you're bringing up um, but it's a very interesting trend how it's going from like the stepdaughter stepmother stepsister thing I'm not I honestly don't know why this is the case but I know that like an element to it is the fact that it's a searchable term. So um, there's a really, really cool uh, audio book, I guess you could call it, uh, called The Butterfly Effect. And I think the author is, it's either John Ronson or Ron Johnson. The guy's name is so confusing for me. But um, 
what he does is he he goes and interviews Fabian, the guy who founded Pornhub, and he then goes on to examine like the ramifications, aka the butterfly effect, of what that has caused. And one of the, the things that that has kind of caused is that the the company MindGeek that owns like uh, Pornhub and owns Brazzers and and Digital Playground and stuff. Uh, they're a massive tech company. They're, they're basically the Google of porn, right? So everything that is made these days has to be a searchable term. So that's why every, you know, movie is like stepdaughter cheerleader orgy four or something like that, right? It's not named anymore like it's a movie. Like back in like the, I think it was 60s or 70s, I'm probably getting my decade wrong, but there was a really famous movie called The Devil in Miss Jones. Mm-hmm. Like that was a really, really popular porno, right? But you wouldn't get a porno these days made with that name because it's not searchable. No one's going to well, find it. Well, you still, on occasion, like there are still some uh, websites or studios, however you want to classify them nowadays, that do do sort of feature content and they still come <laughs> up with their unique names and whatnot. And even Digital Playground yeah. on occasion still does something similar, although the way they that do, things... They do all the parody stuff, though, too. They do parody stuff, too, yeah, 100%. But they still do some original-ish content, but um, that's sort of few and far in between as well. But uh, when they do do it, how it's released nowadays, it's almost um, it's almost done in miniseries style, where they will unleash on the web, you know, scene by scene, as opposed to sort of, like, the complete <laughs> product... Um, as as they would in the past. Now it's almost like you know, here's the first scene. You know, a couple days or a week later, here's the second scene, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the way things are being released nowadays is really interesting, and uh, and I do agree. You know, sort of like the original content isn't as much, and and a lot of things are named either milf this or you know stepdaughter yeah. this or you know whatever is, is sort of like the um, the in uh, you know trend uh, of the moment the end buzzwords well i think milf's the most popular search term on the planet for porn i'm pretty sure it's milf um which yeah that's but that, that but that wouldn't surprise me because like the vast majority of like porn consumers or free porn consumers at least would probably be teenage guys right so mm-hmm. that that kind of makes sense that they're fantasizing about like a, a sexually aggressive experienced woman right yeah absolutely but um yeah talking about like older porn man i some of my i love watching old school like retro porn and it's it's not necessarily because of like that i like hairy bushes or anything like that it's the dialogue the dialogue in old school pornos like we're talking like nina hart uh yeah, nina hartley and like ron jeremy when they were like mm-hmm. starting that kind of era like the dialogue is so hot like they they fucking nailed it and oh man like that's some really good shit to watch now something that i'm curious to ask you is uh, as someone sort of like you know still new-ish in the industry you know celebrating the your one year anniversary in the game are there any misconceptions or myths about performers that uh you would like to dispel? Are there any sort of assumptions about performers that maybe even you had prior to entering the industry, but now that you've been in the game for about a year and you've had various experiences, you know, you've sort of realized, you know, things that, uh, you know, maybe the outside world believe about the business, uh, you know, this isn't necessarily true now that I've experienced it. Um, I guess if there's one that I'd like to dispel, it's not, it's not an assumption that I had, but I feel like it's a pretty common assumption is that, uh, Porn performers, in particular, actresses, are all in some way like messed up, or come from like a broken home, or like you know, they're mentally they have issues. This is just not the case. Like, hands down, a complete myth. Like, every woman I have worked with in this industry is, you know, heart of gold, salt of the earth, lovely women with their heads screwed on right. Like, especially the ones that have made them have. In industry for long enough to make this a legit career, right? They're, they're professionals. They know what they're doing. Like, there's like all these sort of neuroses that people think that these girls might have. It's just not the case. Like, 
they're just professionals who love to fuck, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think that is a, a horrible uh, sort of um, assumption about performers that uh, I'm glad you mentioned that and you referenced that. Happy to. Now, as we start wrapping things up, I have this list of pop culture-oriented questions that are designed to allow the listeners and uh, your budding fan base to get to know some of your favorites. So the first question in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Uh, first one is Archer. Hands down. Love Archer. Um, if anyone listening to this has not seen Archer... You have to go watch it because it's the most politically incorrect and hilarious uh, adult cartoon you could possibly watch. Uh, so that's number one. I'd chuck in uh, The Walking Dead. I love The Walking Dead. I love like the idea of like apocalyptic survival uh, show. Um, Californication's awesome. Uh, Red Dwarf. I grew up watching that as a kid. I still find it hilarious. Um... Number five, probably. Be. Hmm. Dad's Army. That's uh, that's another thing I grew up on as a uh, as a kid. It's like this really old school uh, British BBC comedy. It's like yeah, probably like these day this day and age. It's just probably not as funny as you might think it is, but it's just really classic old school. BBC comedy. Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? Hmm. Foo Fighters is at the top of that list. Uh, like Kanye. A uh, little bit of Daft Punk as well. And uh, Queens of the Stone Age. What are three of your most favorite films? Django Unchained. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, Limitless. What are two foods you can't live without? Hmm. I shouldn't say this because I need to, I, it's better if I watch my diet, but uh, fish and chips is probably one of these, like, horrendous fast food options from like Britain and Australia that I just absolutely love. Um, so I, I don't want to live without it, but I probably should live without it. Uh, and cheese is the other one. Cheese is just amazing. Any shape, variety, kind, temperature, whatever. Love it. Oh, it's amazing. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? Hmm. Uh, binge-watching TV shows like The Walking Dead. I like it. Awesome. And it's a good show to binge-watch, to be quite honest. Really good. I'm just up to season eight now, so... Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, you... Like two episodes in. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, you've got a lot of interesting stuff to watch, to be quite There's honest. Cool. So what is next for Sterling Cooper? What can the listeners and, uh, as I mentioned, you know, your budding fan base anticipate from you in uh, the very near future? What's coming up? Uh, well, I'm heading off to Budapest very soon. I'm going to be doing some work for, um, I believe, babes.com and carrots.com is on the list at the moment. Um, yeah, and then hopefully uh, pick up as much work as I, as I can while I'm over there for the next uh, two, maybe three months. And then we'll, uh, we'll see what happens after that. Very awesome, man. So how can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media, all of the goodies? Cool. Uh, Twitter, you can find me at Sterling Cooper X. That's spelled S-T-I-R. And uh, Instagram, at Cooper Sterling. And uh, my Snapchat is, again, at SterlingCooperX. Perfect. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? Yeah. Uh, keep watching my porn. Keep watching the porn from all the people I work with. Keep supporting the industry. Um, yeah, and if you like something we do, let us know about it, because then we know to make more of it. 
Awesome, man. I love that. So I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview, Sterling. You were fantastic. No, Bobby Chula, it's been an absolute pleasure. Perfect. And the door is open for more. Whenever you want to come back, uh, you're more than uh, welcome to. It would be awesome to continue to follow your career as uh, you. you continue to make a name for yourself in the industry. I'd love to. Perfect. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Poppy Chulo. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Poppy Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Poppy Chulo, visit poppychularadio.com slash after dark. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at poppychulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. And with that, Sterling Cooper and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night. Thanks for listening to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 305-515-8620. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio and like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week. <laughs>